Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. of just the truth and goodness of Jesus and the good news of what he's done for us. So when the Apostle Paul is writing to encourage his friends with a number of things that have gone on for them, a number of things that have gone on for the Apostle Paul, he writes to them these words, despite everything going on, for all this reason, because grace is extending even in the middle of the hard things that are happening. So we do not lose heart, even though we could. Though our outer body, our outer self, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, he calls it, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Noticing these words, he just assumes that the folks who are reading this and the folks who are hearing it be read, there's no question in their minds that there's affliction coming to them from outside. There's no question in their minds that there's suffering. It's not a surprise to them. We, in some ways, are maybe the first time and culture in the history of the world that has been this surprised when something like an epidemic sweeps through. In most of history, this just simply happened. Not always with the same severity, not always with the same speed, but life involved suffering. To say it wasn't a surprise to them, of course, is not to say that it didn't hurt. It's still affliction. It's still pain. Paul himself, he's going to reassure us, he's going to give us the good news of the gospel. But even Paul, when his friend Epaphroditus got deathly ill, they thought they were going to lose him to death. Paul writes back to friends at a different church and says how grieved he was to watch his friend Epaphroditus get sicker and sicker and sicker and indeed almost die. And he writes how grateful he is to be spared that trial. Paul's grounded in the gospel. He knows this affliction, including even if Epaphroditus had died, this affliction is painful. But it doesn't 
crush us. Paul, in fact, earlier in this letter, what he's addressing to his friends in Corinth is that some people are pointing to everything that's come at Paul, and they're saying, well, God can't be with him. He's had a terrible life. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been arrested. He's gotten sick. He has some sort of this ongoing disease, and Paul doesn't say exactly what it is. He, he apparently speaks with a little bit of a lisp or a stutter or something, it, it would appear. There are all kinds of things in Paul's life that make it look like, how could, how could God be with him? Terrible things happen to him. And Paul says, no, no, no. Terrible things happen. But we can still walk hand in hand with the God who is with us through it. Earlier in this same letter, he points to the reality of Jesus life on earth with us, and his death, again, his death by lynching, and his resurrection as the key to how we can trust that even though these hard things are happening, that we can trust that God is with us in it. Nothing that we've experienced is something that's beyond what God himself, come to be human with us, has experienced. Indeed, even Jesus, in the face of the death of his friend Lazarus, knowing that he was about to resurrect Lazarus, minutes later, Jesus walks into the, the village where Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, are, and Jesus is so deeply empathetic that he weeps. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, but one of the most impactful that when Jesus comes in and greets Mary and Martha, he enters into their grief in the death of their brother. And Jesus, Jesus, he weeps. Friends, there's nothing that we're experiencing now that's beyond what God himself has experienced with us. And come out the other side in resurrection power. And in fact, it goes beyond that. What Paul is actually telling us here is because we are grounded in this gospel, because the Holy Spirit has come into our lives, because our sin has been forgiven and we've been united with Christ, we're in Him, connected now in this new family of God, this movement of God towards the restoration of all things. Because all this is true, even in the face of our pain and our sorrow and our uncertainty and our fear, we do not lose heart. Yes, our outer nature is wasting away, and his readers would have understood that as a reference not just to a physical, single human body, but all of creation. The whole outer nature that we see is wasting away. Disease comes in. Volcanoes erupt. Our inner self, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus in us, is being renewed. And in fact, here's what he tells us. This light, momentary affliction, which are pretty astounding words given what Paul has gone through in his life. 
to call everything that he's gone through light affliction. But compared to eternity, it's a moment in time. This light momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This hard time that is likely ahead of us, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we are not going to be spared from all the grief to come. We're going to share it. We're going to share it because some of us are going to suffer directly. And we're going to share it because we're all called to love each other and love our neighbor and bear one another's burdens. But this affliction and all the others in our life, we're invited to let them turn our eyes to what is truly eternal. To turn our eyes from the things that are threatened by this disease or our economic troubles or to recognize just how momentary this life here is. To let even sickness, as the great British pastor of a few centuries back, Jeremy Taylor, called it, let sickness be the, the soul's undressing to, to take away the things we've relied on, the things that we've assumed are eternal, and turn our eyes to Jesus who loves us. And is with us through it all. If you can imagine being in a situation where you are asleep and you're you're in a nightmare, but of course you're you're in a dream and you don't know it's a dream, just terrible things are happening. There's a there's a there's a flood and the, the basement is filling up, or there's a, a rampage, you know, some sort of violent rampage going through your house and you, you're losing what's most dear to you. But then you, you wake up from the dream. In your dream, like you're losing your family, they're all dying, they're all, but you wake up from the dream and you suddenly realize that you, you reach beside you in the bed or you go down the hall and you, your, your kid's fine and the relief and the joy that you feel at that moment is accentuated by the grief that was that was momentary and turns out to be really just a figment of, of your imagination and your dream. You, there, it, something like that is what's promised to us. That all of the grief, all of the pain that we experience here in some way that God doesn't fully describe but is told to us in some way like the broken, jagged pieces of glass being formed into a mosaic that is of immense beauty, that even the broken, jagged pieces of our life in the hands of Jesus who loves us are one day going to be brought together and be somehow taken up into the joy of eternity. There's a scholar... Marilyn McCord Adams, who has taught philosophy at Yale, and she points out that 
you know, the Stoics would accept suffering. And the Epicureans would say, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Just enjoy life. The masochist would say, embrace suffering. But what she points out, the gospel does not accept, avoid, or embrace suffering. It engulfs suffering. Suffering itself just is engulfed by the gospel. I'll close with this reading from Dostoevsky, who certainly had his share of suffering in life, too. Quote from the brothers Karamazov. I have a childlike conviction that the sufferings will be healed and smoothed over, that the whole offensive comedy of human contradictions will disappear like a pitiful image, a vile concoction of man's mind, feeble and puny as a single atom, and that ultimately at the world's finale and the moment of eternal harmony, there will occur and be revealed something so precious it will suffice for all hearts to do away with all indignation, to redeem all human villainy, all bloodshed. And it will suffice not only to make forgiveness possible, but to justify everything that has happened with humanity. We're told in scripture that all creation groans along with us, waiting for that day when the fullness of human redemption is finally revealed and all is made well. Friends, whatever comes to us in the next few weeks, in the next few months, hold on to the Jesus who holds on to you, to the Jesus who one day wipe away all sickness, all pain, to the Jesus who will wipe every tear from our eyes, to the Jesus who promises to not just make all things new, but to redeem all things. Trust him. Rely on him. Rest on him. And let's do it together as we love and serve each other and our neighbors, even in this time. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, what this looks like for us is going to be something we're going to be figuring out in the next days and weeks and months. Oh, Father, save us from easy answers, but ground us in the reality of who you are. Give us courage, give us wisdom, give us love and compassion. Give us hope. And now we pray together the prayer that you taught us, Jesus. Coming to you, Father, who loves us, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need today. 
forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but truly deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, thank you for joining us this morning. I do want to let you know, uh, both our members and regular friends of Inglewood Church and all of you who are listening in and watching, uh, we are, in fact, just holding off on all of our regular face-to-face -face meetings. So um, there have been some things, obviously, on Facebook. We started uh, canceling those events. There are some things on our other calendars and website. We started pulling those back. Uh, we will let you know about things like Palm Sunday and Easter. Those are just far enough ahead. We have not made uh, final decisions about those, but certainly uh, keep track of us on Facebook and on our website and our podcast, and uh, we, will, we will be in touch. And Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your love and service for each other, and again, for our neighbors around us. Go in peace.